So this morning we start a series on the Old Testament book of Daniel. Um, and I just briefly want to tell you about the two focus groups that uh, we have the opportunity uh, that we're going to start this term, and they are going to be engaging with some of the ideas. Now, some of you doing Alpha, that's great, but others, uh, there's an opportunity. And so these groups, um, we're calling them focus groups because they're not a life sentence. Uh, you join, and then you do that, and then you're done. Um, and so you'll probably be done more or less around October time, uh, towards the end of October. But it is an opportunity to form community, engage the ideas, pray through the issues, and explore how this applies to us. We could have called them growth groups as well. And, uh, uh, and, and part of the reason is a shift in focus. You know, life groups had a strong emphasis on forming community, but in the end, you could end up with community for community's sake. And whereas what we're aiming for with these groups is actually community is a byproduct of, of a journey together of growing. And when you aim for community, it can be rather depressing because the purpose of being together is being together. Whereas when community is the byproduct of a great discovery and journey, then somehow that feels like when it's a byproduct, it works better. So think of the people that you've worked hard with and overcome a challenge with before, and together you've done something. You feel a connection to those people much more than you feel a connection to someone that says, okay, let's be all warm and fuzzy-wuzzy. And so... The point of it is not trying to, you know, explore congregation, give you a social life. That's your responsibility. The purpose of it is to grow. Um, you see, one of the dangers is when the purpose is to make everyone belong, that the least healthy or the least mature person in the group or relationship ends up having the most influence. Um, and simply put, we're consciously repositioning ourselves uh, to say that the person with the most maturity and the most to give is the person who must have the most influence. And the rest of us are coming in to grow. And when that's a community of people who are aspiring to be healthy and not just belong, then that elevates the whole experience. Does that make sense? So, we have two groups. Annie is leading a group on Monday evenings, and Rory and Marty are leading a group on Wednesday evenings. So, if you'd like to join a group, please chat to them. Annie was racing here from a hockey trial, but um, she will get here soon. But you could chat to her, or you can chat to Rory and Marty, and, uh, and it would be great. And even if you can't start this week, then you know, reposition, let them know, and we'll start as soon as we can. So, Daniel chapter 1, you know, the Cape Epic always starts with a prologue. It's like a first stage, gets you into the thing, and we come to Daniel chapter 1, and we have, as it were, a prologue. It sets the stage, gives you uh, the scene, and starts what is actually a really epic story. Introduces the setting, the main characters, and gives us a sense of what we might expect 
in the rest of the book, although there are some surprises in the book that nothing can prepare you for. Uh, spoiler alert. So, number one, let's just look at the setting. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1, we see that God's people are under judgment in exile. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These Nebuchadnezzar carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put, the treasure house, uh, put it into the treasure house of his God. So notice this, God has delivered his own people into the hands of their enemies. God, do you do that? You know, very often God's judgments, for example, if you read Romans chapter 1, consist of, Paul uses these exact words, handing us over. And we get handed over to the very things we thought we wanted. The things that we have chosen instead of him. So Judah and Israel, before this, they had been warned that they were going to be handed over to their idols. God's judgment hands us over to our out-of-control desires, to the lies we are determined to believe, and to the behaviors we know that would bring sorrow and pain. And there's only so much protection before God says, my judgment is to hand you over to the things you keep choosing. The people of Judah had thought they could sin without consequence, that they could live a syncretistic way of life. In other words, they could take the best from the nations around them, and sometimes the worst, and they could do as they please without consequence. They could live life harmonized with the idols of the nations around them. And after many, like centuries of grave warnings from God, he hands them over, or in this language, delivers them into the hands of their enemies. Now, God is not absent from the storyline. He keeps showing up as we're going to read. God is not absent just because you're in a crisis. God is not absent just because I'm in a crisis. It's just that he's not the domesticated guarantee of safety and comfort that I imagined him he should be. You know, his name, well, firstly, let's just say this. God exists. The Bible takes it as an absolute given. He's just there. Never tries to prove him. But it introduces this God. He introduces himself with this name. I am who I am. Think about that. God, what's your name? I am who I am. The danger for Judah and for Israel is they wanted a God that they could decide on his nature. Listen, you know, if you're about to meet someone that you've never met before, you might hope as to who they would be. Say you've got to go meet someone, a new boss or something like that. You might have hopes as to who they may be. But if, if they for real, they already exist. Your best hope is finding out who they are. 
you don't get to decide who the other person is. Now, Israel hadn't worked out that all the other nations could look at the sun, moon, and the stars, and the river, and the water, and the fertility, and the ground, and whatever, and invent their own gods, domesticate them, make a little idol of them, and worship that which they thought their god should be. And Israel alone has a God who says, I am who I am. It's not your call. And that's still true of the living eternal God today. Like having conversations with people, a very recent one comes to mind, in which someone wants to decide what God can and can't be. I'm going, bruh, that's just not your call. He's already there. The call's been made. Think about that. Because the consequences are hectic. Jerusalem is defeated. It will, in this instance, it, it, it simply lost the battle. A whole lot of stuff had been taken. And Jerusalem will have puppet king after rebel king after puppet king. And eventually, they will simply come and tear the place down, burn its gates, rip its walls apart, destroy the temple, and leave nothing. And the Lord had handed them over. They'd been warned about their stubborn disobedience, that there was one form of justice for the rich and the strong and another for the weak and the vulnerable. There was oppression, exploitation, corruption, immorality, and ultimately this idolatry. Not rejecting Yahweh outright, but just deciding which gods he had to share the throne with. Gods of fertility, gods of sex, gods of money. It doesn't sound much different from today. And they'd rejected his law, his written word. And they'd rejected his spoken word from the prophets. But surely not Babylon. I mean, this is a city known for much worse, for idolatry, adultery, sorcery, cruelty, violent warfare, witchcraft, you name it. It was a city chosen by the New Testament writers to represent the Antichrist himself. When there were options like Sodom and Gomorrah and Nineveh and Assyria and Rome. Babylon. So here's confession time from me. I'm preparing this thinking. Gosh, this is harsh. How do I preach God's judgments without turning people off? I don't know. I just have to be faithful to God's word and say what it says. He handed them over. You know, the temptation is to try and make God's judgment palatable. It's never going to be nice. But it's never random, capricious. He's always giving you a heads up and a call to a different path. He's not cruel. He's not random. He's utterly consistent and faithful to his word. But God isn't only evident in judgment. He is working even in the exile. He's faithful forever.
He's perfect in love, as we've just sung. And we're going to see he is sovereign over all. So who are the leading characters? So the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we've already got him, 9 verse 3, ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, the head honcho, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the noble class. Young men without physical defect, good-looking, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. I'll have to go to Gap and see who we've got, yeah? Um, (laughs) There we go. And he was to teach them, this is the head honcho, the language, the literature, the history, the story of the Babylonians. And the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. So they were essentially, you know, probably mid to late teens going to university in Babylon. And among those who qualified for NSFAS were from Judah, and it was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, uh, Abednego. Now, as the story develops, we're going to see that friendship circle and that alliance. Friendships are a huge influence on the outcome of your life story. And so we're introduced, yes, there's this lead character, and the book carries his name, but once or twice he disappears almost entirely from the scene. One occasion we think he might have been traveling or something like that, It's just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who take center stage. I think it's in chapter 3 or 4. No, 3. But yeah, we have these guys, and they introduce to us, and they are being taken on the steep learning curve. But the steep learning curve is to learn everything about Babylon, which included all the dark arts of what we had before. And they seem to accept it, but... We soon come to their first challenge. So let's just go there in verse 8. And Daniel resolved or purposed in his heart. Like this is like a firm, deep decision. Not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused, notice God is still evident and active in the exile had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king. I'm in charge of you, but he is in charge of me. He has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you, (coughs) you lot, looking worse than the other young men of your age? And he's speaking in the plural. So clearly Daniel was representing the lot of them because the answer's in the plural. So the four of them are being represented. We can't see it in the English. It's there in the original. The king would have my head because of you all. And then a little bit of palace intrigue. So the king sends the food and gives the instructions. The, the, the head of the whole place, you know, second in command, He absolutely refuses. And so Daniel said to the guard, 
whom the chief official had appointed over them, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink, and then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. And treat your servants in accordance with what you see. He's obviously trusting God in the test. And so the God agreed and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the God took away their choice food. Now, we don't know if it was just the four of them or all of them. (laughs) Other guys might have been grumpy that they lost their, you know, cheeseburgers because you wouldn't be able to have, you know, dairy and meat in one thing. They wouldn't be able to have caviar or crab or anything like that. I don't know what the king ate in Babylon. But they took away the choice food and they had vegetables instead. Boys and girls, young people, isn't that just an amazing story? It's just what you love to hear. Eat your vegetables and then you can have your pudding. Now, we need to understand, scholars are actually a little bit puzzled by what Daniel was objecting to in the royal eating plan. You know, a casual reading, we might think, this food wasn't kosher, and Daniel is saying, I know the food laws of Israel, I'm being faithful to the word of God, and so I am not going to break kosher. But the problem is that he says vegetables. Now, there's lots of meat that was kosher, and he includes wine, and wine was certainly kosher. I mean, the Nazarite vow, for example, some of them. And so he's asking for something different, even to Jewish eating laws. So I don't know if that's ever struck you before, because this was always, I always understood this as, it's like he was just trying to be a good Jew. But he's, it's not, this is a Daniel diet. This isn't a kosher diet. All Babylonian and Assyrian food, not just some meats in that, would have been devoted to foreign deities and considered unclean. Like you would literally either starve or eat something. There was no food that, according to Jewish standards, was clean in Babylon. So while we can't say for sure There's some interesting wording, and I'm not hot on the Hebrew, so I have to rely on others. We'll get to the Aramaic next chapter. We can't say for sure, but what Daniel seems to, and he he uses a particular word, it's entitled rich food or king's food. This is like really luxurious food. This is like five-star chef plus on the day. This is not just what the rich people could afford. This was only what could land on the king's table. And the king says, I'm wealthy enough. I'll pay for my university students. Imagine if NSFAS did that. And what was on Cyril's table was in the university reses. Well, that's sort of like where where we're getting to. It was literally royal food or royal table food. It was rich, rich food. And I don't think it means, 
you know, it just had a lot of cream in it. It was indulgent. It was designed to seduce these students through their stomachs. Like if I'm living this well. You know, some of the biggest temptations we will face concern food and shelter and clothing and rest. And what was the first temptation Jesus faced? Turn these stones into bread. Legitimate needs can become illegitimate gods. And then we forget those who cannot satisfy their legitimate needs. Daniel saw living in luxury as defilement. It's the luxury of the food, not the kosherness of the food that was a problem to him. You know, this week has been very painful and distressing for Cape Tonians across the board, no matter which way you look at it. Scenes on Thursday as thousands of children were left unguarded and parents walked for many hours down our roads. We just got to say no. And the violence, the retaliation, the lawlessness determined to hold the city hostage ends up punishing the most vulnerable. And, and one of my biggest concerns is that violence is not just endemic, in other words, all over. It's systemic. It's our go-to when we want to get things done. It's become our way. Violence has become our voice. And whether it's institutional violence or whether it's reactive violence, we have almost all come to believe that that's how we solve things. And we will impound your taxis, or we will break them, or we will have bigger guns than you, or whatever it is, but we've come to believe that's what's going to solve the problems. And if we believe that we just need a bigger law and a bigger gun and a bigger stick, then all that's going to happen is people on the other side are going to find bigger guns as well. It cannot be our way. To resort to the same culture of retaliation, can we not reimagine and reshape our city and society in such a way that that way becomes unthinkable for like anyone? starting with lament and deep repentance from our way. You see, for Daniel, he had watched people lose their homes and be dragged off, and now they're literally living like slaves. And he's one of the lucky ones who's been chosen and picked and put on the top of the tree, and he's going to, you know, he's okay. And he thinks, if I eat this food... I'm going to forget my people. It's the opulence and luxury while others are in slavery and in oppression, I think. It's the richness of the food and the seduction that comes when you have everything you can need and a whole lot more. 
and eventually you feel entitled to it. This wasn't kosher. This was seduction. And he goes, I can't be part of that. You know, justice often starts by the things we choose to refuse. Righteousness often starts by the things we choose to refuse. And Daniel's in the space and he's offered the caviar, he's offered the steak, he's offered, you know, the fillet, he's offered whatever it is. And he goes, I'd rather have vegetables. As I've shown you in the reading, they were persistent and they were shrewd. They couldn't turn to their law because the law didn't justify the extent to which, which they, were, they were insisting on this diet. But when their request was denied by the chief official, who was already favorably disposed towards them, they then go to the, to the guard, the guy who's actually watching them. And they say, Psst, I'll give you my food if you give me yours. And they make a deal. <laughs> so that they don't compromise what they purposed in their heart. And the four of them together decide to go against the empire in that moment. Like there's a whole lot of stuff they could not subvert but that was one thing they could choose to do in that place, keep their conscience pure, and remember the people who didn't have what they had. Now, we don't come across, and I know I'm reading into the story, and it literally is just two words, very rich food, the king's food, food from the king's table. But let's wrap up. Lastly, the outcome of their courage is God is working for them and through them, even in exile. Like they're in exile. They're in captivity. Everything they love has been taken from them. The city is destroyed. Judah lies in ruins. Verse 17, to these four young men, God gave knowledge. God gave. Notice, God gave. God's at work. Knowledge and understanding. We're saying it. Lord, you're always working. Doesn't mean that everything that happens is God's direct will. When people sin, God didn't want it. Let's just say it. But God is working to redeem all things. So they had this understanding. And then, in addition, Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Where do we see this before? Joseph in a foreign court. It's like in these places where, you know, people wouldn't accept the laws of God. They have these means of revelation and communication that God understands they will accept. And so he begins to equip his people for the context that they're in. And Daniel is able to understand visions and dreams of all kinds. 
And at the end of the time, namely three years, set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar, and the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. These subversive vegetarians. And, and, and I mean, you know, I was thinking about vegetarians. You know, the, the first murderer was a vegetarian, so I'm not preaching vegetarianism. <laughs> Genesis 4. Okay. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. He found them, a bit of hyperbole, ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And then this last line is going to give you a sense of the whole book. And Daniel remained there for about 66 years. More than six and a half decades until the first year of King Cyrus. He saw empires come and go, let alone kings. You know, we often focus on what these young men chose not to do as we wrap up. And it's important what they chose not to do. Justice often starts by what we choose to not do. But they could have simply tried to withdraw into a holy huddle and keep themselves apart and pure and distance from all that horrible paganism. And I think we face the same temp uh, temptation. We're in culture wars. We're in, uh, we're in noise. We're in pain. And it could be that we simply want to separate, walk away and wash our hands and hope to survive. But then we presented with a false dilemma. If we don't become isolationists, then we're told, well, we'll have to make a deal. We'll have to compromise. Daniel did neither. We've already seen he would not compromise. But neither did he withdraw. He was not isolationist. He was not in a bubble. He's like fully engaged in the issues and empire around him. In fact, he's one of the, he, he becomes the most ethical and most influential person of his day. You see, he firmly believed that God was king, that God could be trusted, and that Daniel, therefore, should discern faithfully how to engage the world around him. Like, he's going to engage, and he's going to do so with discernment, and he's going to do so with faithfulness, and he's going to do so with integrity, and he's not just going to wash his hands of this empire. You see, Daniel was not isolationist. He was already doing what Jeremiah, a few decades later, after Jerusalem was torn apart, would write in his letter to the exiles in Jeremiah 29, verse 4. This is what Yahweh, the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what I'm telling you. Build houses, settle down, plant guard, gardens, eat what your, your, the produce, marry, have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, give daughters in marriage so that they can have sons and daughters. Increase and do not decrease. Increase. I want you there. And I want you to grow. And I want you to influence. 
and also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I carry you, even if it's exile. Pray to the Lord for it. If your city prospers, you too will prosper. Wow. And so Daniel served pagan kings, several of them. He accepted a pagan education, but he discerned it. He even was given a pagan deity's name. And it seems like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to, you know, what's it? Shake your bed, make your bed, into bed do we go. Um, if you can't remember it. Um, not only did he serve them, but he prayed for them. And he counseled them. And at times he challenged, rebuked them, warmed them. Interpreted their dreams for them. Gave them sleepless nights. And we will discover in this study that even when we have rulers in their pride and cruelty who can only be described as beasts, we're still called to discernment, to faithful engagement. We're not to run away from God's world. You see, if the city prospers as God intends, then God's people will prosper too. While I was in the UK, I heard a, a prophetic picture which reminded me of this. It was a picture of God's people and it was of a hot coal fire. So all the timber, all the kindling had been reduced. It wasn't a dead fire, it was a hot fire, it was glowing red. But it just started to get the first gray ash on the top layer. There was still plenty of heat, but the ash was now starting to form. And in the picture... People who attended the fire kept it going. God says, I'm going to blow on you. I'm going to blow on you. And the fire will burn. And as I sat with that picture, some, two things came to mind. The first is the promise. Yes, God is blowing on people who've kept the flame. But the second thing is, is that if you just add more oxygen to coals, they just burn out quicker. You need fresh kindling. And as I sat with that picture, two things immediately came to my mind. First of all, that the fresh kindling is found in the secret place of prayer, of worship, intercession. And Daniel is an example of someone who steadfastly prayed even when it was life-threatening to do so. Will we seek the Lord? Will we wait on him? Are, are, are we just going to rely on our own clever answers? Or are we going to turn to God when we really need him, which is right now? 
And will we do so from the secret place? Or will, or will we only do so on Sundays when we're all showing up? It's almost like in this place we're burning the fuel, but we've got to grow it somewhere. <laughs> we've got to source it somewhere, and that's with Him, face to face, in prayer, in His Word. But the other thing is that the fresh kindling speaks to me of future generations. Like, what's the good of one generation just thinking we'll provide all the kindling? We have to teach the next generations how to bring kindling to the fire of God. And that's where I shared this scripture from Hosea 10 verse 12. So righteousness for yourselves. Interesting that righteousness is for us. It's like to our benefit. <laughs> Reap the fruit of unfailing love. God's steadfast, determined, covenant-keeping, faithful love. It's unfailing. He wants you to eat, reap its fruit and eat it. <laughs> he doesn't want you to miss out on the wealth of his love. And break up your fallow ground or your unplowed ground. Like what areas are just lying unproductive in our lives? For it is time to seek the Lord. Until he comes and showers his righteousness. Notice, righteousness, so righteousness for yourselves, so that he can come and shower his righteousness on you. I think we're going on a bit of a journey with Daniel. And I'm hoping we'll begin to see something of the blowing of God. Spirit of Jesus, come and blow on your words. Come and blow on your people. Blow on the fire that has been tended. Bring the coals to life. But Lord, I pray that we will see generation upon generation fresh kindling. Lord, that even we ourselves will give you fresh fuel for what you long to fan into flame among us. Lord, we, we don't just want a life of comfort and convenience. We want a life of reaping what you sow. Lord, your righteousness. So maybe just take a moment. Come, Lord Jesus. He's showing you.
says Daniel purposed in his heart. Lord, what do you want me to purpose today? Lord Jesus, we do want to walk this with you. Lord, we see around us what happens when we find other ways. And we're asking you today, be our way. You said, I am the way. Be our way. Lead us, we pray. Lord, lead us into discerning, faithful, courageous engagement in a city that desperately needs you. Lord, we want to pray for our city. We want to ask that it would become a jewel. Lord, not just in the physical, but in the social. We want to pray that it would prosper so that all its people may prosper. We want to pray that you'll watch over your church, that she may hold out the word of life. Lord, you've said that you want a group of people who will shine like the stars in the heavens as they hold out the words of life. Lord, make your church, Lord, not just this church, all your people across the city like stars who shine. And may they hold out the way of Jesus in a city that has followed other ways. Lord, forgive us for walking those ways as well. Lord, make us part of the healing, we pray. And Lord, thank you for this ancient, true story. It says it's possible that even in the midst of exile and chaos and loss, that God caused this, God caused that, and God gave this, and God gave that. Lord, give us those dreams and visions. Give us a plan for hope and a future. Lord, may we not lose heart. So explore, I want to bless you with fresh faith, fresh hope, and fresh love. Scripture says those things are going to remain. So I bless you to be refreshed in your faith. I bless you to be refreshed in your hope. I bless you to be refreshed in every meaningful relationship God gives you that you may love in Jesus' name.